0: <laughs> okay. Good uh, I think last week we stopped somewhere around trying to argue what we expected execution times for quicksort would be, right? So, quick sort, um, as a reminder, is, is one of the typical divide and conquer paradigm algorithms. We divide by selecting some pivot, well, we have a number of uh, range of numbers and we want to sort. We select the pivot and arrange data so that smaller values will be to the left and larger values to the right. And then recursively, Independently uh, solve the pro- subproblems on the left and on the right. So, today we are going to look at the, some of the typical ways how to analyze these types of recursive divide and conquer programs. Uh, first of all, in here, the question was that we don't, well, if, if we could always divide to exactly two halves of equal size. Then the analysis is exactly like merge sort. Uh, but the problem with the quicksort is that we don't know is it uh, skewed towards one end or the other. And then I think we went over the topic, analyzing that if our quicksort is behaves as bad as possible, only selects one element and nothing is smaller, for example, then we have quadratic time. Algorithm, because we only were able to eliminate one out of the n elements, and still spend linear time to perform this work. So this is a sum of i equals from one to n uh, of the i. Uh, so if we are always lucky, then the merge sort case would hold. We have perfect n log n case. And the question when we have different ratios like 10% versus 90%, then we have recursion that eliminates 10% and then recursively goes in there, or 90%, and then we have to solve uh, the subtask for 90% of the cases. And uh, this is all repetition, so if we do this kind of Whole tree analysis. Then at top we do linear work. In here we do linear in terms of every node, so we have linear effort. And the depth of the tree will be log on the basis of, on the base of 10, and on the right is log on the base of 10 over 9, so 1.1. It's much deeper than on the left, but how much? If this is roughly 1.1, you earn interest 10% a year. How many years until you have made 10 fold uh, your wealth? You earn 10% every year on your previous wealth. How many years so that you can? Temp, uh, increase tenfold your wealth. What is it? You don't have anything to deposit on the bank the bank account, right? Is it something like somebody can do the quick calculations, maybe about 25, 27 years? Uh, so it's... The right-hand side will be, I think, about 25 times deeper than the left-hand side, but it's still logarithmic. Is this so far okay? No? Don't be afraid to speak up. Our recursive program, uh, program to the left always selects 10%, to the right uh, 90% and recursively we go deeper and deeper. So, on, of course, on the left the depth will be much smaller, on the right it will be deeper, but at every level there is linear effort. Uh, when you add up 1, 9, 9 so this is still 100% uh, percent. every element is once in these. Uh, in, in On that level. Now, this is for the case when we have the recursion uh, of this form, right? We don't know in advance how good the quicksort is in selecting the pivot. That's the idea. We, we, we select some, but we don't know how good it is. Right? 10%, 90%. Even in that case we have still n log n algorithm. But what happens if we have... We know that the worst case is that we we just select 1 and n-1 is left, right? What happens when we have this worst case followed by a good case when we can split to two halves? And then again have the worst case and then the best case, alternating layer by layer. How, how would the recursion work in that case? This is... Uh, now, we, now we make recursive, uh, recursive algorithm double recursion. Lucky, we know we split in two halves, both having n over 2 elements. But then, on the next round, we call the unlucky choice of the pivot that is only able to eliminate one and then send n-1 elements back to the lucky program. So, lucky one knows how to split in two halves, but that calls unlucky, unlucky, it applies the worst case scenario. But this case we can uh, we know what the unlucky case u function is, so u is this one, so we, you can apply this as a, a substitution. So let's substitute this one with this call in here, then we get rid of the double recursion. So lucky case is twice this, and in each case there is uh, uh, <coughs> n over two elements goes in here minus one and uh, plus uh, theta of n over half because we have n over half elements in here plus this theta in there but now when you look at this you call twice this plus this twice this we can absorb in theta of n so we can uh, throw this one out We are left with twice calling lucky n over half minus one plus theta of n and this is now we have absorbed the bad case into theta of n and in fact we have lucky calls twice lucky on half of the elements therefore we have the n log n algorithm so it's enough to at least occasionally be lucky And lucky doesn't mean that we have to have exactly half. Lucky could be even 9 to 1 ratio. So all that we need to do is somehow to make sure that we usually or often are lucky in the choice of the people. Uh, And of course... To make us more lucky, you can apply different techniques, you can sample, for example, take the three values by random and select the median of the three. That that is more likely to be somewhere in the middle. Just increase the chances. There is another benefit to selecting, uh, but the other thing is that we should select random. Your program should not be deterministic that you always choose the first element as a pivot. Because your opponent could decide the perfect test data that ruins your algorithm. Always provides an unlucky case as the next deterministic choice. So, So this is the case where random is very good for us. Why? Because if you choose randomly, The pivot, the opponent has no chances of um, playing against you. It's very hard to play against a random chance, right? And randomly being always unlucky is very unlikely, That that is the basis of this random Choice of the pivot, you can't you can't be unlucky every single time that you draw the next element. So now we are facing the problem that we we intuitively we somehow feel that quicksort is good when we select randomly the pivot, but how do we analyze what will be the performance of this kind of randomized quicksort. So all that we need to assume is that we have the number of elements that we want to sort and we always select randomly from this uh, selection the pivot. Um, How to analyze this? Um, our recursion of splitting n elements to two parts is now depends how lucky we were with the choice of the pivot. And each one of the cases is possible. We have uh, zero elements selected. Uh, the pivot is the smallest, for example, or, or the largest, n minus one is left and we spent uh, linear time for that, if the split is 0 to n-1, or vice versa, n-1 to 0. And every other possible uh, case is, is there, right? Our recursion has suddenly depends on how we selected the split, uh, the pivot, the and this defines what the split is. One of those is exactly half-half. So our recursive function suddenly has all these options. So, if the decisions among us, how would you analyze the expected behavior of this kind of occurrence? You're smiling, like you know the answer. No. Okay. Um, first of all, we can somehow introduce the, the indicator variable that indicates which split actually occurred, and that only one of the splits actually occurred. Uh, so the the indicator value xk is one if there is exactly k versus n minus k minus one split. So this is one only for the case uh, k elements have been se- selected and 0 otherwise. Uh, since there is k choices, the indicator value is only once 1 and all the other times 0, so we, you know that somehow that the expected value of this indicator value is the probability of observing 1, and this is only 1 out of n cases. So indicator value once fires, 1 is correct, and expected value is 1 over n. All the splits are equally likely if they are different elements. So we are going to use this indicator uh, value uh, to select one of the rows in here. But by selecting one of the rows we can actually... uh, sum all the rows together, and multiply each row by this indicator value. So this becomes now actually the sum over all the rows in here, multiplied by the indicator value. And remember, indicator value was 1 only once. So these two are are exactly (coughs) equal to each other. So this one uh, defines uh, what to do for a particular uh, k to n minus k minus 1 split. and this goes all the, over all the cases and only once this k equals 1, and we have that perfect split in here. No, well, doesn't need to be perfect any, any, for any K. So we have at least got rid of this large number of, of uh, cases by just summing them all up. And now we still need to do expected value analysis of this sum. So expected value for the time to solve uh, for n cases is expected value of this sum. And that's something where statisticians could probably apply different things like linearity of expected expectations. instead of expectation of the sum, you take the sum of expectations. Uh, Then, within this sum of expectations, you can apply uh, expected value for x, for this indicator uh, function, times uh, times the rest expected value of this recurrence then This expected value of this we actually knew in advance. I just told you that was 1 over n. This is 1 over n. 1 over n uh, is there, and we have three independent sums. Sum for expected value of t, k, expected value for t, n minus k minus 1, and expected value for theta of n, each one multiplied by 1 over n. So now this one goes from 0 to n minus 1 for the time to uh, solve the k this one goes from uh, 0 to n minus 1 time to solve n minus k minus 1 so one goes from 1 to n minus 1 and the other goes from n minus 1 to 1 so these sums in fact are equal so 2 times 2 over n uh, the sum plus uh, and we had uh, n times theta of n divided by n, so that is theta of n in there. And uh, in here, since the constant cases 0 and 1 could be absorbed in theta of n, so there is. Uh, 2 over n and we have this slightly smaller sum k equals 2 to n minus and, uh, 1 and this can be now proved to, uh, to be n log n for some constant a. So now this one can actually uh, be proven that uh, expected value is uh, n n log n plus linear term but this falls down falls down to n log n algorithm Um, so by by making some of these assumptions choosing uh, choosing a um, large enough so that the a n log n would dominate over this expected value so now this is this proof of uh, of How do you prove the big O, big Theta notations? Um, I'm not going to ask these uh, details, but just so that you can see through some of that um, material. So basically, it can be proven that the expected value to solve recurrence on n elements is going to be n log n. A little bit tricky, statistics is applied, and that's what, what what happens usually with these randomized algorithms, that we need to have some kind of expected time analysis uh, performed. And these average cases are therefore, uh, can be a little bit tricky. Uh, So now you have reasons to go back to the textbooks and go through the slides and try to see how each line in here appears. but I'm not going to grasp that in the exam. And, uh, and of course you can follow the materials in the textbook, uh, there is a, a, a chapter on that and, and uh, there are lectures on the, on the web. Any questions at this stage? Intuitively, because we select random pivot it's almost guaranteed that some of the choices will be lucky choices for us and that they eventually make us uh, give us n log n algorithm. Uh, sort can be tuned in different ways to try to increase the, the, this uh, luckiness in there. As I said, you could select the, the median of three as the, as the pivot, for example. Um, and the other versions where Quicksort has been uh, improved is, is instead of one pivot, you can select two pivots. With two pivots, you can compare the number, is it smaller or larger than the first pivot? If that is already, if that is smaller, you know between the two pivots, which one is smaller, right? So you start with the smaller one. It's, if it's smaller, it has to be smaller from the larger one as well. Bang done. If it's larger, then you still still test for the next one. So you do either one or two comparisons, and you can split the data to three regions: small, large, and medium, medium values. And then you have recursive program that calls quicksort on the three cases. Okay, uh, uh, so far, uh, so much about the quicksort on average case analysis. i waving a little bit hands about that. But the general theme is that we have the program that takes as input n elements, and we are interested to find out the time to solve this problem. And if we have divide and conquer, then we call recursively the same program, but smaller by a smaller number of elements. Divide n by some b, be it uh, two or four or three or one point five. So less elements goes in this recursive call, and we have <coughs> into how many into how many splits. Uh, We divide the data. Plus some function to get this uh, spent on this split. So, this is the general case of the recursive, all these recurrences, and luckily there are (coughs) methods to help us analyze such recurrences, and this is called the so called master method. So we call t of n over some uh, larger than 1, so we want to reduce the number of elements and the number of times that we call uh, the data, uh, sorry, the, the, the same uh, program, plus some function that does not need to be linear, it could be quadratic, cubic, it could be anything, right? Some function to get this into this state. Uh, A in this case is 3, and uh, B could be... In here I haven't outlined the B, but this is the general case. On the top we spend some function of n to make this split happen, and then for every every node deeper we have less uh, data points going To analyze. It could be two thirds, for example. Two thirds, two thirds, two thirds. Some some data can be overlapping. It doesn't mean that the data could could not overlap at all. It doesn't mean like that. Now, what happens in this case? Somehow we would uh, need to compare what is this F of n in here? How much does how fast does this function grow? If this function grows very fast, then at every step lower in the tree, we have much less elements, right? But this grows fast, therefore this function will dominate the entire uh, recurrence. If this function is uh, not growing very fast, but the branching factor is large, and the depth of the tree is going to be deep, then there will be... Many elements on the lowest level when we are when we have only one element left, right? So that sort of says that either the branching factor and the depth of the tree will dominate, or the function on the top will dominate. It depends. Uh, what is the um, how fast does this number grow? versus this uh, function. So we need to compare um, these two functions to each other. And this is the essence of the master theorem. If our function compared to this one is uh, function goes grows uh, slower than n to the power of log base b a Minus epsilon. Epsilon is some constant. So our function is ego of even something that is smaller than this one. So f of n grows polynomially slower than this one. In this case, f of n grows uh, slow. In this case, uh, this n to the power of log b a will dominate. So time to solve n elements. Is determined by this uh, function. This is first case. The second case is that our function of uh, f of n will grow theta, the same order of, of uh, speed as n to the log P A times log to the power k for some constant k of n. So this one is minus epsilon, the power is minus epsilon in here. Is actually uh, the case for which the functions grow equally. This looks a little bit complicated, but in this case, the function of n, the, the time is theta of of this func- uh, this formula here. But I think k plus one has been added. One power has been added in here. So this is almost like a recipe book to compare the two numbers if case 1 holds, then this holds, if case 2 holds, then this holds, and case 3, now the function grows big omega, or it grows faster than this n to the power of log bA plus epsilon. So it grows even faster than n to the power of constant plus another constant, and in this case, Function grow. This f of n grows so fast, so that it will dominate the entire recurrence. If f of n grows very fast, f of n will dominate. If f of n is growing slow then the size of the tree will dominate, and in the case they are equal to this case, then uh, n to the power times log of n to some power will be the actual answer. Examples. Time to solve n elements calls four times. You split n... they don't need to be non-overlapping, right? You select half of the elements, but you need to repeat the, the, the task four times. Four times, each one has half of the elements plus linear co- uh, component. In here, a is four, branching factor is four. B is two. Log of base b of a is uh, two n square. And f of n is n. And now n square grows um, f of n, n n grows slower than n square minus some epsilon. For example, even for epsilon equals one. F of n is t of n. And therefore, uh, therefore what was the case in here? N to this power n to this power was n-squared, therefore the entire function has quadratic time-complexity. When the n was... uh, f of n is is, uh, linear and this grows uh, slower than n-squared, but now we have made this f of n-quadratic, and now this is uh, theta by the same numbers. By the same numbers, Um, we have increased this term in here and uh, this log, what was the case in here, log k plus 1 for k equals 0. n log Pa is n quadratic. this is quadratic, f of n is uh, theta of n-square times log to some power k n, and this is true for k equals 0, this is f of n is theta of n-square, and therefore the entire algorithm will be n-square times log 0 plus 1 log n n square log n. So n, the only thing that we changed in here was to go from n to n squared and instead of n squared we have theta of n squared times log n algorithm. What happens when we increase n n squared when we go to n, n cubic, third power? If we go to third power this uh, and cube is actually f of n is big omega of, of uh, quadratic plus epsilon for another epsilon could be 1 um, then uh, a3 is in here you need to substitute uh, we need some conditions for C for the constant of. So in here, n cube, you can see that uh, by this theorem, uh, time to solve n elements is actually dominated by this n-cubic uh, function. Time to solve n elements is big theta of n to the third. Because n to the third grows faster than, n- than this one introduces new branches. So this is, these are the three main cases, and in this case, is not n to the power, but n to the third, but n squared divided by log n, and this cannot be, uh, this cannot be analyzed by this by the same recurrence because uh, because there is no this constant factor by which n squared minus epsilon uh, for no epsilon uh, it will be uh, the satisfied because log of n will increase infinitely. And therefore, we cannot apply the Master theorem in this case. But in many cases we can, and uh, this is a like a recipe book, you can compare the branching factor, the division factor, and the function in there. So on top, we spend f of n, whatever the function in here is, then we branch to A branches. And every time we have reduced the number of elements by n over b and then you can sum up these cases uh, a times f of n over b uh, now it's a square, f of n over b squared etc and the question is what these what how deep this will be and what they will add up to so in the In the leaves, the branching factor will tell how many leaves there are, and each one will be solved in constant time. But this, this one will then tell how many such calls there will be. And the three cases say that uh, the weight increases, there will be more and more towards the, towards the bottom of the tree. In this case, the number of elements uh, in the tree will be the um, outcome. In the second case, on every depth, roughly the same amount of work is done. Then it's the um, depth times how much work there needs, no sorry, uh, this is uh, log bn levels n to that uh, power, how many levels there is, times log n. So this was the, the theta uh, case, case two. Roughly at every stage it's equal. And these are our sorting algorithms, n log n, for the case of uh, one in here. And the case three was such that f of n will dominate and theta of f of n uh, will be the outcome. I don't see excitement in their faces. (laughs) But roughly, we have recursive programs. It depends how how much do we reduce the task size, how much do we need to split, and how much effort do we need to put in to achieve this case. And this gives the recipe book for solving such recurrences. Okay, but uh, we can now come back to uh, sorting. And uh, what did we learn about sorting? We learned that there are some algorithms that are behaving n log n, and remember last time we also proved that no sorting algorithm can work faster than n log n, given the uh, comparisons between elements. the decision tree argument. You have permutation of all the permutations, and we have to find one that is sorted. And we have only choice, yes or no choice, uh, based on the comparisons. Does it it prove that we never can do any sorting faster than n log n? No, it only proves that given the comparisons, that's the best that we can do. How can we sort in different ways without the comparisons? And how fast could we sort in that case? For example, there's uh, well, a sleep sort. So, if you have what what sort sleep sort sleep sort. Yeah, you fall asleep. No, well, uh, if you have integers, you sleep for every integer. Uh, well as long as well how large the integer is. well after well after the, the each of the sub processes have well that down, you can uh, we'll put that integer into the <laughs> <laughs> You sleep and suddenly you're faster. You learn faster by sleeping actually. Um, Last time somebody asked me, and uh, I explained this, so he, he did not reveal the task, but, but imagine the simple cases. Let's take the date, right? And date of the year, calendar, there are 365 days, and I would like to sort uh, you, for example, based on the, who is born in January, then February, March, etc. Because there is only 12 cases. I could ask, which which month are you born? July. You will be in the middle, right? So I I would have to allocate enough space for every month. Um, So instead of comparing, are you born earlier and after her, what is the answer? Before or after July? After. After. But I I, I would not ask that question, I would exactly ask, what is the uh, birth month, right? and I can already categorize you to the correct location. So I don't need to compare you to know who is born, basically, to know how to sort elements, element. And the sleep sort indicates uh, also that there are integers, and you can somehow sleep for that integer time. But if that would be floating-point number, then probably could not achieve that, right? So, sorting, or even simpler, women and men say that women are first, men then uh, next, then I can I can just sort you to two categories. And I don't need to compare every time. So this sort into the months, into the bins of months uh, can work as, as this. We have N elements to sort and we want to uh, provide output of the sorted. Sort all of you and we Just use some extra space as counts how many... I I would once go through each one of you and I, I would just keep count how many people were born in January, February, March, until December. Then I know how much space to allocate and in the next sweep for July I know that you will be at this location. So this is the basis of of linear time sorting by counting. Uh, first, every the numbers of uh, births in every month is zero, then we go once through every... everybody in the room ask which month are you born, then we do a small trick, and then we go again through all the points in the data and allocate That person already into the correct place. So um, this is our data. We have four different values, five people, four months, five people. We have zero counts in the first and then we know that there is one, one, two threes. There are two threes and two fours. So just count uh, element. What is the small trick? Just knowing that the two twos doesn't tell me, two. sorry, two threes doesn't tell me where we, I should put the threes. So going through this, I know that the ones should occupy one slot. Ones and twos should occupy up to the first, still the one slot. Thirds will occupy until the third slot and fours will be occupied until the fifth slot. So all the Julys will be occupying the first 16 positions. 16 people, if I I, I, I could count until the July, and say that 16 of you is July or before, right? And therefore I know already the locations where I should uh, assign everybody uh, So I can go through this one, for example 3, 3 should end up in the 3rd position and that was reduced to 2. Then I take the next one, 4 should occupy until 5th position. I copy that into the 5th position and decrease that next time I will not overwrite. So next 5 should end up in the 4th position. So I missed this first step. So the 3 ended up in the third position and indicator for 3 was decreased from 3 to 2. After 4, this is the situation. Now, after this 3, that goes to the second slot and this slot value will become 1. Right? Then 1 should go to the first slot and the counter should go to 0. 4 should go to the... Uh, four slot, and the counter will go to three. So you can assign everybody by just looking up where in the table that should end up. So entire algorithm, we count the different, well, we initialize by zeros, we count every uh, every value once, then we update the count f- uh, vector so that it reflects where should I put the next Uh, value into, and then I go through every element once again, so in here we go through every element by counting, in here we go through every element and put in the result vector into the location indicated by the count vector this value, and then I subtract the count vector value by 1 number of Different elements, k in this case is small, 4, number of months is 12. If number of different cases is small, then we can apply this n plus k time algorithm. So this takes for every different value, set of k, go every value once, set of n goes through every Go through every data point once. Go every go through every value once, and go every uh, through every data point once again. So theta of n plus k. All these together is n plus k algorithm. If k is not more than n, but for k it has to be some constant, right? But intuitively, the smaller the k, the faster the algorithm. If we would have 64 bit integers, of course you could count how many different uh, values there is, right? But it's pretty hard to make the table, the count table, for all the 2 to the power of 64 cases, right? But for, for 12 months, for 256 different bytes, that's easy. So basically, we have now the linear time sorting algorithm that sorts without comparing the values to each other. Um, Is that so far okay? So we we, we just magically made the sorting algorithm that works linear time for some cases, where the number of different values is not so large. Is this algorithm understood? Yeah. There is one property that we are going to use of this algorithm, and this is so-called stable solved property. So we went through all the values, and we uh, just copied them to the right places. In this case, we went from back to end, uh, to, to the beginning, and the, back, the last one occupied the last slot. The next one occupied the next slot. So, at no point the same values went crisscross. Right? The same values maintained the same order, relative order. Of course, larger values went uh, to the end, but again, the, the, the latter of them is on the latter position, the first one of them is in the first position. So, we maintained the stability of this ordering. or stableness, it's stable. You could ask if some of the other methods that we have been looking so far, marriage salt or or, or counting or bubble salt or, or quick salt, would satisfy the same. Once earlier, forever earlier, right? Something like that. Now, this is a a property, and we know how to do counting salt for a small number of different value ranges. Now, back in 1890, that's, what, about 60 years before the computers, working computers appeared, the linear time sorting was already invented. And that was uh, by the, by the People doing that, I think IBM was doing these punch cards, etc. Uh, so, this, when you go to the large scale national census, uh, you punch everything in the cards, then the question was how to sort all the individuals by their birthday, for example. Uh, and uh, instead of comparing, Two values you would start sorting based on the digit by digit comparisons. So the first decimal to first decimal, well, basically, that you know that the millions are larger than, well, no, seven million is larger than five million, whatever, right? Seven is larger than five, therefore, you can allocate them to different spots, right? But the problem was that when you do it by the first most important digit, Then, when you take the next, less important digit, then you would, you cannot apply the same method anymore. You would screw up the sorting on the the more important digit. So actually, then he came up that he could uh, actually do the sorting by least significant digit. Let's sort on the last dollar value, like $5 or $7. Regardless, if somebody earns 5,007 and the other one earns 7,007, just on the last $7 digit. So, this is the radix sort, all the data and number of digits. So, for every digit from 1 to D, from the least significant digit to the most important, uh, mo- uh, more significant digit through every digit value, just use stable sort stable on that digit. Sorting is a rich source of inspiration for different algorithms. You can sleep, you can do different kinds of sorting, and you can see that this is even simpler. It takes less lines of code, right? Do you believe that this would work? This is the example of three digit numbers and we would like to apply now this stable sorting on going through the least uh, significant digit, um, second and third. So three sweeps through the data. So first, on the yellow, the least significant digit, you apply the sorting, uh, 0, 5, And the stability, 7 and seven four five seven six five seven four five seven becomes before six five seven. On the nine three two nine comes before 8, 3, 9. 3 2, 9 and eight three nine. So we have the first one has fallen there, right? There is another with a nine, eight, three, nine. So just thought on the least significant digit. Now we would look at the second digit. There are values two, three, five, two, three, and five. Twos, threes, and fives. The first two, seven, two. Zero is the first of the twos. The second two, three, two, nine is the second, then the fives, uh, sorry, the threes, four, three, six, eight, three, nine in there, in the stable order. And then all the three fives, first, second, and third, five, five, five. So now we have sorted on this, but the last column has become unordered, right? This is not any more ordered, 0, 9, 6, etc. But if you look at the two last columns, then 20, 36, 57... So we have managed to sort by the last two digits by now. And when we repeat it on the next digit position, we have 3, 4, 6, 7, 8. And by maintaining the stable order, if 29 was smaller than 59 before, 29 was smaller than 59, that order is maintained. Therefore, 329 is smaller than 355. And you can go through more and more digits in this way. How much does this take time? The number of digits uh, sweeps, and each sweep is linear time. So how, how, how big is our integer? And every time you spend linear time. And then you can well of course we would need to prove that this works, right? And this works by, by assuming that whatever what if the least digit, the significant digit are sorted already, what will happen when you take the next digit position? And because we maintain a stable relationship then you can prove that after the next sweep, you have increased the saltedness. And uh, this, uh, they applied, I think, I think they were applying this on the punch bars, and actually, you know how to deal with the punch bars, you have these bar, met, metal bars, you can push them through, and then you take out all zeros, and you put them in the, in the beginning, right? And then you have all ones, and you put them next. So physically, you can, you can uh, raise and copy them. So, when you have integers, like 32-bit words, of course you don't need to go by by zero, one You can take the byte by byte. Least, uh, least significant byte, the next, next, and, and next. One byte by one byte. Four sweeps and your 32 bit integers are sorted. Uh, it doesn't need to be eight bits, it could be fifteen bits or sixteen bits. Well, sixteen bits gives you sixty five thousand different values. So if, if the data is large enough, your count you can count into sixty five thousand different values, you could do it in two sweeps, for example. Depending how many bits you allocate for one sweep, then you can design um, your algorithm uh, accordingly. Right? Uh, With the 64-bit integers, you could then come up with your well. Basically, you can you can test is it better to have sixty Is it better to have 16 bits at a time or maybe only 10 bits at a time with 10 bits you would need to go through data 6 7 times and then you can analyze what will happen depending on the on the number of bits So, for 32 bit numbers, you would have three passes. You could have just three passes through the data, for example. While if you, if you take some other uh, sorting like uh, n log n ones, then logarithms give you 10, 11 passes through the data. And, and I guess you could also optimize that. Once you know the bits, you could do the counting of every different bit value in one sweep through the, all the data. In that way, you could reduce the number of sweeps for the counting source. You could combine multiple counting sorts into the single code. And, and there is this last comment that in each sweep you may need to you take data and you assign to different locations, right? So it's not so local anymore. While if you think of the quicksort, once you have the relatively small data set, relatively small size of the array, then maybe that fits into the cache, and then the cache operations are faster. So if you need to throw basically throw your pointers through the data, it usually becomes uh, slower in practice, and the, the this locality of the uh, locality of reference basically tries to say that if, if you at any given time work with the local data, then you can do a lot more operations because it's locally in the cache. That was uh, integers, digits. The same applies for text. Your well, again, three, only three characters in this case, but character values could be uh, used of the text. You could do alphabetic sorting on the, on the individuals. In here, the, the length, just to make it easier, all the lengths have been equal. So by the least, digital, least significant character, we have four categories, A, B, C and D. And the radix sort, as you can see, could be implemented also on top of the linked list implementations. So, list of all words ending with A's is now the first list. The second list is list of all words ending with the B's, etc. So in the first sweep you could achieve this case. Then you don't need to do counting, then you just append at the end of the reach list. Right? Because linked list you can just keep adding. Uh, data to the end of the list. In the second sweep, you would go through through the same order, BBA, ABA, CCA, and throw them into lists based on the second character from from the right. BBA should become the first one in the B category, ABA should be the second one in the same category, and CCA will become the first one in the C category, so you maintain the same stable Property. So in the second sweep, now we have sorted them on the two last characters, and the third sweep, now we can just read out the alphabetically ordered values in here. And no string began with the B. Again, no single comparison between two text like uh, text uh, uh, streams um, when uh, when I was studying in here at Anna villains taught us the course on algorithm and the data structures she was telling how they implemented sorting on the mainframes, on these IBM 360s in here, or the Soviet analogues and they made a the linear time sorting, but they did it differently. So this one is example where you have, you have sorted based on the most significant digit, zeros and ones. But I claim that, of course, if you now just sort zeros and ones again, then you get out of order on the most significant digit, right? You can sort in here zeros and ones, you can just go three through zero, one, one, one. This is out of order, and you just put that in the first and you put that in in there. You swap them, right? Then you keep going. One is in the order, zero is out of order, you swap, you observe another zero, out of order, you swap again. So from there, by the first digit, you get sorted into there, into this situation, right? First digit, easy. Zeros and ones. Question is, what would happen to the second digit? You could, of course, say that, okay, let's recursively call sort on this uh, zeros part only, right? And then on this ones part only. But then recursion would call this program call stack to grow, and these uh, subroutine calls will spend, perhaps, time. You could do some comparison of these algorithms. But instead of doing recursively zeros separately from ones, we applied exactly the same procedure. But now, when you observe something that is out of sync, one zero you swap, one zero one one okay zero okay zero okay zero okay one sorry one zero you swap 0, 1, one this zero you would like to put that in the second place to have zero, zero, one, 1. but another zero is again out of order right and now the trick is that you just need to verify that the prefix is exactly the same before the swap. If the prefix is the same, then you swap. If prefix is not the same, then you don't swap. And because the prefix has changed, we have gone, gone from zeros to ones already, then you don't swap. So that requires some bit level, setting the mask of bits of the prefix, which bits correspond to the prefix, and then just comparing are the prefixes equal or not. And then you go through every bit, you have some uh, bit masks, and you can just apply the same. If, if this is out of order, you would need to swap, but you don't do that if the prefixes are different. Uh, and this is also a linear time uh, algorithm, but in this case, it would go from left to right, from the more significant digits to the least significant digits, which is not a standard textbook knowledge in most of the. Textbooks. So, if you, if you want to talk to somebody, uh, say that you know how to do radix salt but not like the radix sort, but going from the more significant digit to the least significant, then bit by bit you can you can do that. And uh, of course, the, with these linear time algorithms, you can compare to quicksort, and uh, it's very hard to beat quicksort because it uh, depends on the tuning and. the the code that you write, but uh, you will be able to beat some of the built-in sort methods uh, with the integer data. Floating point numbers, you can't apply the same techniques, right? What can you do with the floating point numbers? If you have some intuition how the data is distributed, then you could pre-allocate buckets of certain sizes, so that ideally the buckets, each bucket would be of roughly equal size. Uh, so in the case of floating-point numbers, you could, for example, say that... Um, of course, the easy thing would be to say that you have the ones which is from 0 to 0.1, from uh, 0.1 to 0.2, Um, just throw these data almost like hash them to the correct numerical ranges, right? And then you have, if you manage to do this at roughly equal uniform distribution, then each bucket will be roughly equally full. And then you could divide the original data into many independent sub uh, data sets. And now of course you can in- independently sort each one of them uh, in these lists, ten, 10 lists in here. Um, since sorting is a very important task, you spend a lot of CPU time on that, of course there is a willingness to compete on the best. Um, sorting algorithms, I did not uh, check the latest uh, results, but basically the, uh, there are challenges that try to sort not 32 bit integers, not 64 bit integers, but something that is usually um, well, 100 bytes data chunks, right? um, 800 bits. Um, and the first ten bytes, in fact, are are the is the data or the random value key that you want to sort, and the next ninety bytes are, is just this extra data. Um, so you sort by the first ten bytes, first eighty bits, and then you have to carry the larger chunk um, as uh, as extra data. And uh, Challenges challenge is how much can you sort within one minute, uh, how much uh, you can uh, sort per penny, how much you can, well, the you, you could say that my computer price is important or my electricity price is important, I want to have the green sorting that consumes as little energy as possible. You can compete on these types of challenges with the special made hardware, large uh, multi Computer uh, hardware or small ones, so it depends how many disks you you throw in, etc. So now the reading of the data becomes very important. Dividing into new nodes is important, and then individual recursive uh, sorting is important. Uh, so 2008, 2000. This is. Uh, 2011. Yeah, 2011 data so you could do uh, 0.72 terabytes per minute or you could do how many jowls do you spend uh, Per joule of energy, how many records to use to sort per joule of energy? In this case, having cheaper or sort of less, well, not so fast computers that consume a lot of uh, electricity, to have energy efficient processors uh, would be beneficial. Right? And then you can have all kinds of uh, different uh, parallel uh, hardware, parallelizing the the how many how many. Uh, So, this is the the sort of like the large scale, how large data you can sort. Um, This is uh, per penny or per certain price, um, per minute, how large data you can sort, etc. So, you can have a look at those. Um, And uh, they. Uh, they are quite impressive uh, numbers, in fact, when you compare it to the quicksort that you have been running on the single core. Okay, so I haven't uh, updated these uh, uh, slides, these but you can, you can see what, what has been the latest uh, um, in the sorting um, challenges. We have a little bit of time to go, and uh, I would like to challenge now, um, we know everything about sorting by now, right? I do know that once you have data sorted then uh, this uh, binary search becomes suddenly lightning fast. Forget about uh, the sortedness for, for time being, and let's ask uh, questions like how much time does it take to find the smallest value in the data? Minimum or maximum? Or median? Median would, would be very good if we knew how to find the median, then we could do the perfect split in the quicksort, right? If, if we could find the median value, then we could have the perfect split for quicksort. How fast can we find the median value? Linear. (laughs) Um, Finding the smallest value is relatively simple. You just memorize what is the smallest. The next one is it smaller or not? You you just update that. You go through once, you have the smallest value. When you have the mean and max, when you have the mean and max, once you know that this is not smaller, then you could ask: Is it larger than maximum? Right? You could have in the two comparisons. You can find the smallest and largest. Uh, two. I think there is somewhere, okay I will come back to that. So actually finding the smallest and largest is is a little bit faster than doing the smallest ones and then the largest, the second speed. Because you you can get rid of uh, uh, some uh, comparisons. Oh yeah, uh, I will come back to that. Um, But in general case, you can say that order statistics is asking what is the ith value. And median is just i equals n over 2, but i could be 759th value, it could be 1,755th value, right? And you claim that median for median it's, of course, just linear time to count uh, all, the, all the values that are smaller and know which one is going to sit exactly at the middle of the data range. Can you come up with an algorithm? you can sort the uh, center uh, center value for it, it's, uh, it's uh, not changed anymore, I think. Something like that. But can you also analyze that it's linear time? Okay, so, so this, I don't have a clicker, so A, B, C, D. Find the ith value in unsorted data. Is it linear time? Is it log, log N? N log N is sorting time, right? I can't fool you. Sorting time and then the, the ith value is just indexing. So you can immediately say that this is too slow. But A, B and C. If you sort and then look at the ith value, for sure you can do that, right? So A, B and C... Finding the ice value, which one would you vote? Who votes for that you can't do faster than C? Who votes that you can't you do it you can do it actually and log log n and who says that this is linear time? Oh come on, I did not see all the hands. And the rest of you are sleeping. So let's let's, uh, let's have a look. So smallest value is just uh, you you need to maintain the minimum, right? If 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 your uh, if your value is smaller than minimum, then you have the new minimum. Yeah. Maximum is of course the same. But but when you want to do minimum and maximum together, then what you can do is is. Uh, When you look at the two consecutive values, you ask, is this more? Your arrays in here, these are the indexes, and you ask, is this smaller than minimum? Is this larger than maximum? Is this smaller than minimum? Is that larger than maximum? You do four tests in this case, right? But what if we compare the two? Once we know which one is smaller, that cannot be maximum, right? We know which one is smaller, we can ask, is that smaller than the minimum? And is the larger value larger than maximum? In that case, you have one, two, three comparisons instead of four. So going pairwise, you can compare them first to each other, and then know what is the next question to be asked. But it's still a linear-time operation. Now, selection of the ith value, whatever the i is, can be done somewhat similar like like, uh, Quicksort does, right? We want to have the pivot that lays at the end of this subroutine in the ith place. Our pivot, if we were lucky, the first pivot immediately was on the ice place. And we have that in, in the first sweep. Now, if we do sort of like quick sort like, but randomized select in here, you, you, you select the pivot, and you know that your Ith value should be either before or after. If, if it's uh, after, then why would you care sorting the first data? You would only go after the next part. So the recurrence in here is act- actually that you have... You select the, uh, some pivot. Is this well written? Um, P and R are indices and I is I value. If the index range is, becomes empty, uh, then P equals R, so the, the range is just single element, then you return that. <coughs> Otherwise, you do this uh, pivot, randomized partition. You do this randomized partition, selecting the pivot, like in the quicksort, and then you know how many elements are from the pivot to the left, from the pivot to the right. You know in the range the ith value, and then, then you you know that if i'th value is is smaller than k, at the position of the of the pivot, then you go to the left. If it's larger, then you go to the right, but you update. If you go to the right, this is the new left point, pivot plus one, between pivot plus one and r. But now this i will have to be uh, changed in that range. Within that range we don't look anymore for i, but i minus k, we have eliminated k values. So almost all that has changed, maybe the layout uh, fools you a little bit, but compared to quicksort, almost all that has changed is that we, we don't do left and right both, but we chose one or the other, then or else. Our data is like that. Let's say that we look for what is what should sit in the sorted array on the right position. We have first uh, pivot choice in here, in this case we have the smaller values, we have, we have this in here, then we have to find this value from here, and uh, we spend linear time in there. But in here, remember, with a quick sort, we also have to solve this one. But now we have a smaller range. So, in fact, it will sort of zoom down to this position. And, and since this keeps getting smaller at every depth of recursion, then this was your bo- uh, the, this beer choke. Uh, this is. In ideal case, just half of the data, half of the data, half of the data, so it will be logarithmic depth in here. And therefore, these data sets are in, in uh, smaller and smaller and smaller, so this uh, sum will be uh, linear time. Uh, I should write that. P go of that. Because we didn't waste time to sort everything. Um, so, expected time behavior finding the ith value is linear time. You could do the, uh, also the finding the median value by almost doing the uh, quick sort, but just finding the value in linear time. Uh, this is expected time. But it's possible also to make the algorithm that, in the worst case, spend linear time. So it's in the textbook. So, uh, what have we done? Um, we know that sorting is n log n when we compare values. We have the n log n algorithms. Quick sort is, is rather nice, uh, practical algorithm. But if we relax the assumptions, we can go to the linear time. A linear is something that at least you have to go through the data once. That linear is almost, almost certainly you would have to do that. Uh, and then we also talked about the recurrence. How to solve the recurrences, is this master theorem um, of these recursive algorithms. Um, so when you have your recursive algorithm, You plug in these branching factors and and division factors and comparing how much effort did you spend at each layer of the recursion. Then you can analyze uh, what is the um, asymptotic complexity of these algorithms. Okay. Um, Any questions so far about this? You can follow, right? Uh, Next time, we are going to uh, go to the question like when, when you have linked lists, then you know that indexing to the ith position is not easy. You would have to go through the linked list to the ith position. But still, linked lists, as such, are nice because they can be made dynamic. Array, you cannot make dynamic, you cannot add elements in the array. In between somewhere but linked lists you can make dynamic so the question is how to p- merge the good size of the array sortedness binary search things on top of the linked list implementation and that's uh, uh, what's actually uh, called the data structure that comes to help is so-called skip list, where instead of a single list, intuitively we build a hierarchy of of lists at different, uh, like a comb, is it or, or is it is it the small or is it large? So basically, roughly roughly speaking, we would like like to quickly the midpoint, or at least approximately the midpoint of the list. Then we can focus, should we be looking until that location or after that location. If we can quickly jump ahead and observe what is there in that position, then we can jump over everything in the beginning. Yeah? We get much closer to the solution much faster. So a skip list will allow us to skip large parts of the Linked list, head, parts, and, uh, and the tricky is actually that there, there will be... If this is a linked list at the bottom, then the skip list will have, uh, will have multiple layers. Fast track is really fast, then it's middle track, and even uh, smaller, uh, more denser track, etc. So that you can fast track the head and if you know that oh i shouldn't go so far then you fall back to the next layer and you go with the uh, less steps less skips at the next layer until you find again the right location and then you keep doing that ultimately you have just a few positions to look at uh, and. Uh, it's sort of like you have all the linked list at the bottom, they are sorted, but then you have multiple, um, second, third, uh, well, the second, third, and fourth layer, or if this is zero, then one, two, and three, less and less elements will get to the next layer. Therefore allowing us to do faster and faster jumping. But the problem is that you don't, this list has to be dynamic. So you keep adding elements to the bottom of the list, right? More and more elements. Therefore we have to update the layers up there as well. And this will happen uh, using randomized uh, principles. If it, On the other hand, if this exist in here, it has to exist on every lever, layer deeper as well. Okay, but that, I think I will I will, um, repeat this skip listing uh, on Thursday. Um, so how to search, how to insert, how to delete, and also how to analyze uh, this kind of structure. But the principle is that we would like to get something like Quixote working on the linked lists as well.